You have to joyfully participate in the suffering of the world. Your thoughts have a kind of Eastern flavor to them. Well, I lived in Jersey my whole life. I mean Eastern in terms of Asian, like Buddhist or Taoist. Sun Tzu. I told you about him. We have to stop now. Amazing thing about snakes is that they reproduce spontaneously. What do you mean? They have both male and female sex organs. That's why somebody you don't trust, you call a snake. How can you trust a guy who can literally go fuck themselves? Don't you think that expression will come from the Adam and Eve story? When snake tempted Eve to bite the apple? Hey, snakes were fucking themselves long before Adam and Eve showed up to eat. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Ah, nothing like hearing Tony Soprano and Polly Walnut make up shit. Lose themselves in fanciful narratives, the stories they tell themselves. They are a microcosm of humanity, it seems. An endless parade of lies and delusions. Partly because of a propensity to settle for the safe. Partly because of the propaganda of Yaldibaldi and his hating angels. What a sad little condition in this hell world, barring from shoe on head. Delusions and propaganda. Mankind is poised midway between the gods and the beasts. That may have been true in Plotinus's time, but clearly we have fallen quite a bit since then. Ever hear of the invisible gorilla study? Participants were instructed to watch a video of two basketball teams casually pass the ball around. The participants were told to count the number of passes. Midway through the video, a dude dressed as a gorilla walked through the game, stood in the middle, pounded his chest, and then exited. Later, study participants were asked, but did you see the gorilla? More than half the time, subjects miss the gorilla entirely. Repeated studies yielded the same results. What does this mean? It shows that meat sacks see what they want to see, obey to the point of blinding themselves, and are easily manipulated into a conventional story. Christoph, let me ask you. Why do you think that uh, Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now? We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Yet here at A.M. Bite, we tear the veil and get into the true story. Or at least a more plausible alternative. We always see that damn invisible gorilla even as others call us insane. Do you know what crazy is? Crazy is majority rules. Yeah, uh. In this eternal now, it's no exception, as you'll get that genuine dope on the origins of Gnosticism. 
which by default means as well the origins of Christianity. And by more default, it means also understanding the power of myth that can exercise from you the pied piping of this hell world. Myths are clues to the spiritual potentialities of the human life. What we're capable of knowing within? Yes. For this hologram-destroying task, we have my friend and favorite Bible scholar, Robert M. Price. Much of what he'll be sharing is found in his new book, Judaizing Jesus. Always love when the mighty Bible geek materializes at the virtual Alexandria. We're done being manipulated and told what story to believe. Paradoxically, the cure often involves creating our own fiction of sorts. So maybe Tony Soprano and Polly Walnuts are not so far off the gnosis. There's nothing wrong, as James True argues, with lying to ourselves for a while, mentally cosplaying in a fake-it-until-you-make-it therapy. But I can't go back. Don't know that you got a choice, son. No man can walk out on his own story. As Bernardo Castro said in his recent interview with Michael Shermer, the mind's first directive is to deceive itself. In other words, we must create our own reality first before we are able to confront the horror that is the unvarnished reality out there. As Richard Smoley said, Hermes is both the god of the mind and the god of tricks. In this age that belongs to him, we gotta find the real real by playing the pretend for a while. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? I know this may sound strange, but to lie ourselves to the truth, you must hold on to two important keys. One, fall into a nice fiction as long as your goal is to touch those archetypal images. Embrace the gods, symbols, and astral legends that resonate with your soul. Personalize and interact with these energies to gradually both experience and transcend reality. This will eventually lead you to ecstatically experience the charge archetypes themselves. That is living your own myth. That is freedom. Your own father said that artists use lies to tell the truth. As the Gospel of Philip states, Truth did not come into the world naked, but it came in types and images. The world will not receive truth in any other way. There is a rebirth and an image of rebirth. It is certainly necessary to be born again through the image. The image must rise again through the image. My friends believed in me, but they 
need some kind of hero. Then be a hero. Oh, no. No, no. I, you don't understand. I'm not even supposed to be here. That's right. You came a long way to find something that isn't out here. Two, always keep in mind that your falling into a nice fiction is ultimately a form of self-knowledge. A labyrinth leading to your purposeful self while sometimes wrapping traumatic memory into softer tales. Whether it's a conspiracy theory or some movement you know will become corrupt, like they all do, embrace, but never forget you're there to discover who you are below all the layers of programming and cultural conditioning. Simple as that. As William T. Volman wrote in the New York Times, as a corpus, the Gnostic scriptures are nearly incoherent. Like a crowd of sages, mystics, and madmen, all speaking at once. But always they call upon us to know ourselves. I'm not here to tell you who you are. I didn't ask you to tell me who I am. I don't know who you are. I don't want to know. It's taken me all my life to find out who I am, and I am tired now. You hear what I'm saying? This is your gospel. Self-knowledge is your gospel, and only you can write it. Nobody can write a better story than you, and it's time to realize this. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Ever hear the story of Kafka and the doll? At 40, Kafka, who never married and had no children, walked through the park in Berlin when he met a crying girl who had just lost her favorite doll. They both searched for the doll unsuccessfully. Kafka told her to meet him there the next day and they would come back to look for her. The next day, after not finding the doll, Kafka gave the girl a letter, quote, written by the doll, saying, Please don't cry. I took a trip to see the world. I will write to you about my adventures. Thus began a story that continued until the end of Kafka's life. During their meetings at the park, Kafka read the letters of the doll, carefully written with adventures and conversations that the girl found adorable. Finally, Kafka brought back the doll, he bought one, that had returned to Berlin. It doesn't look like my doll at all, said the girl. Kafka handed her another letter in which the doll wrote, my travels have changed me. The little girl hugged the new doll and brought her happily home. A year later, Kafka died. Decades later, the now adult girl found a letter inside the doll. In the tiny letter signed by Kafka, it was written, Everything you love will probably be lost, but in the end, Love will return in another way. It's, it's just like this wave washing over me again and again. It knocks me down. 
and when I try to stand up, it just comes for me again. No. No, I won't. <laughs> How do you know? But what is grief? If not love, persevering. Of course, since Kafka was a modern Gnostic, as many scholars have contended, I would say there is another lesson to this story beyond the, quote, return of love. And that is that Kafka was simultaneously himself the doll and the little girl. He was in his own gospel and own myth, as nobody really has ever verified this story. But we do know that when we fall into a nice fiction, our own stories, we are everyone we meet, and our psyches will often fragment to survive the archons of hell world and to create better than the creator gods and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment. Or maybe I'm just telling you a nice fiction. An invisible gorilla of sorts. Hmm. Led us to our interview with Robert Price. You're saying that humans need fantasies to make life bearable? No. Humans need fantasy to be human. To be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. With tooth fairies, hogfathers. Yes. As practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies. So we can believe the big ones. Yes. Justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet, you try to act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some, some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. But people have got to believe that. What's the point? You need to believe in things that aren't true. How else can they become? This is the Aeon Byte interview. And as always, it is a great pleasure to have the Bible geek himself, Robert M. Price, this time to discuss his latest book, Judaizing Jesus, but we will also cover some other cool topics as we always do. So, Bob, as I always ask when you come on Aeon Byte, uh, how are things under the oppressive yoke of the Archons? Well, uh, I personally am not yet suffering from it, but it uh, sure looks like they're in control, especially <laughs> one of them being in the White House. <laughs> the obligatory comment, too. Yes, yes. These are some crazy times. And with us, we have definitely an Archon killer, Van Saatchi. Vance, how are you doing? Uh, where are they? Where are they? I'm going to go get them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. It's always great to have Bob here, and I'm really looking forward to this. And let's go. 
Let's do this. Let's do this. Well, Bob, uh, the, some of the, I wanted to start with sort of a general uh, topic on Gnosticism, although some of these topics you do cover in Judaizing Jesus, uh, simply because uh, the show has grown so much in 2021. I guess other people want to go out and fight those archons and mm. get over their oppressive yoke. Um but uh, so I've been doing some sort of general shows on touching on Gnosticism and the Gnostics. More will be coming in these dog days of summer and beyond. So I wanted to ask you if somebody asked you, what are the origins of Gnosticism? What would you say to them? I, I uh, tend to go along with the uh, older view that uh, Gnosticism was a uh, a pre-Christian religion or or type of religion. Uh, of course, the name uh, Gnosis is Greek for knowledge. It has parallels over in India with uh, Jnana Yoga, uh, the the yoga of knowledge. Uh, same word, I mean, uh, Greek and Sanskrit are related languages, and that's uh, like non-dualist Vedanta Hinduism today, where knowledge of what you really are, namely uh, that uh, this Atman, this uh, individuality, is really Brahman. Uh, because in um, Western Gnosticism, you have really the same idea that at least an elite group of human beings uh, possess within them a divine spark, unsuspected except for the fact that they feel alienated, strangers in a strange land. Like, can I really be in a world uh, where people watch sitcoms like the ones on TV? W what is the matter with them or with me? Uh, and, uh, and it's exactly like The Matrix, which was based uh, intentionally on Gnosticism. Uh, the uh, there are um, wandering gurus, prophets, whatever, who are Gnostic revealers uh, seeking sort of as Diogenes sought out a single honest man. Uh, in the same way, these people were on the lookout for folks who were dissatisfied with the world and even with conventional religion. Uh, despite uh, its good function and, and noble ideals, they knew that, as, as Jesus says about the uh, uh, the rich young ruler, that he knew there was something more. Well, what is that? It's it's knowledge of your own divine nature, and the goal is to liberate it and and to stop being. Uh, reincarnated again and again on this treadmill of lives, uh, which you're going to have to do until you realize where you really belong. And once you do, uh, your uh, divine spark will uh, return to the divine fullness, the pleroma, uh, the fullness of light uh, from whence it came. And the the roots, and this is already a kind of a complex notion, even in its most basic form. So where did it come from? And it looks like uh, there are roots in Platonic philosophy, very definitely. 
even the idea of the demiurge creator subordinate to the gods comes right out of Plato. But uh, the dualism of it, uh, that matter is evil and, uh, and, and spirit is good, seems to reflect Persian Zoroastrianism. And uh, there, there were uh, other mystical currents like Hermeticism, uh, and um, uh, especially in, in Hellenistic Egypt with uh, treasuring wisdom supposedly from uh, Hermes Trismegistus, thrice great Hermes, uh, and, and uh, so forth. And Gnosticism shares important elements with these notions, and they seem to be older than attested Gnosticism. So it's a, a good inference that they are, are the sources of it, uh, though it may come uh, from, from uh, India because it is very much like um, uh, non-dualist Hinduism and Mahayana Buddhism. I mean, also Jainism and uh, some Thaya Hinduism. So it's hard to tell, but it gathers up a lot of things from very old religious philosophical systems, and uh, uh, it's and and it seems to have been uh, a, an item in Judaism before Christianity inherited it, because there are Gnostic texts like the uh, the. Uh, the the three stellae of Seth and uh, and others that are Sethian Gnosticism that are, they're they're based on uh, oh Genesis with uh, Cain Abel and Seth symbolizing different types of humans and so forth. It's a lot of baggage if you're just coming up with a Christian heresy. It seems like it must have been uh, some variety of sectarian Judaism, and uh, and that Christian that that some of them became Christians too, but didn't give up their basic theological framework, uh, or that uh, there were uh, uh, Gnostic converts to Christianity, uh, and. Uh, and, and redid it to acclimate themselves to uh, like a kind of syncretism to make themselves feel at home in what would otherwise be a new religion for them. Uh, there seem to have been Zoroastrian Gnostic Christians like in the Apocalypse of Adam from Nag Hammadi, which is, uh, is just straight Zoroastrianism until they tack on Jesus. And so uh, it looks to me like, um, yeah, it was a pre-Christian thing with roots uh, in, in the Far East, uh, mystical uh, stuff that continues to evolve today, like in Sufism and uh, the Druze religion and so on. They're, they're certainly Gnostic. Um, so that's more than you wanted to know, probably, no, but uh, <laughs> uh, it does have a bunch of ancient pedigrees. Oh, that's a great answer. Great summary. Really appreciate it. What do you think of this model that some scholars have proposed? And I, again, as you always say in the Bible Geek, at the end of the day, we're just speculating. Yeah. But until we get a time machine, a TARDIS. But 
that there were once upon a time disenfranchised Jews, Hellenized Jews, uh, perhaps in Alexandria, and they started mingling with uh, sort of uh, out-of-work Egyptian priests because in the Greco-Roman world, that was the people were losing their contact with the Egyptian mysteries. And these Jews interacted with them and started their own lodges and uh, eventually evolved into Gnosticism. Uh, could well be true because from what we're told about uh, the Naasins, uh, it kind of looks like they had their own Lagos theology that strangely anticipated Kant's religion within the limits of reason alone uh, when he kind of demythologizes the Christian story, like the the incarnation has to do with every uh, human being having a spirit encased in flesh. Uh, the uh, the 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 uh, resurrection is the freeing of the spirit from the the impediments of the body and so on and and it uh, this they also call the son of man and uh, i believe it was gordon rylands who made an interesting uh, analysis of this where he said look th this is so much like philo and and other things going on over in Hellenistic Egypt, that it looks like uh, that's where uh, uh, at least Johannine Christology came from, but maybe the whole shooting match, and that, that would make a lot of sense. Um, Chaim Maccabee had a, a different uh, Egyptian origin theory about Gnosticism, that, that it was uh, the result of, of um, Hellenistic... Uh, whoever you envision they're ptolemaic uh, macedonians or uh, or uh, uh Hellenic, uh or very greeks whatever who were very interested in judaism as a lot of gentiles were in the mediterranean world uh and they they flirted with conversion to it but then somehow we're convinced, no, what, what am I thinking? This is just a lot of gibberish. <laughs> it, it might be that it was reading, you know, like, uh, I think, what was it, Mark Twain or somebody said, uh, it, it, a great way of making atheists is to get people to read the Bible. Uh, well, that, that <laughs> may be what happened because <laughs> Maccabee suggested that could be why you have all these weird versions of the Garden of Eden story and the testimony of truth and the in uh, the uh, the hypostasis of the archons and the apocryphon of John it almost sounds like they're satires of of Genesis and it may be that these guys uh, were uh, well kind of like today's obsessive atheists who can't just drop the thing, uh, the religion <laughs> they once held. They have to beat it to death uh, with polemics and so Could be. I, I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, there are people that say Christianity started in Egypt, not in, uh, like, among the Therapeuti that uh, uh, yeah. Milo mentions, and that it uh, made its way across uh uh, the Sinai Peninsula into Judaism, where uh, many embraced it, uh, and uh, and that Christianity, uh, you know, blossomed forth from there. It's, 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 it's not like well, 
in a way, you can say there's a paucity of evidence in the, that it's not clear how to connect the dots. But on the other hand, it's an embarrassment of riches because there are so many dots to connect. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, so I don't know how this will ever be resolved short of new discoveries that might somehow make it clearer. I don't, I'm not sure how they would, but uh, at least as it stands now, you can't really be too sure. Agreed. And again, well said. Uh, and as you write in your book, Judaizing Jesus, you talk about the Manichaeans and you say, quote, Manichaeanism is obviously post-Christian, third century. Its version of the Redeemer myth clearly is based on the far more ancient Babylonian royal ideology represented in the Numa Elish. And you talk very cool. Well, for those who might not know, the Manichaeans have in their uh, creation myth, there's the kingdom of light and darkness and darkness attacks. And uh, uh, the, the kingdom of light creates, like you're talking about the Nessenes, the primal man, and he gets destroyed mm. and falls into creation. But you talk about the Manichaeans got this from the Numa Elish Babylon, but even maybe a very primordial myth where Marduk is the one who gets his ass kicked, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, he goes out in battle against Tiamat and Apsu and the, the other dragons and monsters who are threatening the gods, and he makes a deal with them. He's the young warrior and storm god, just like uh, Yahweh or Baal. Uh, he says, uh, okay, you're, you're not up to the challenge. I am, and I will take care of these monsters if you will agree to make me the new king of gods. And uh, they said, well, yeah, that's fine. Uh, go ahead. You'll deserve it if you can do that. And so he does mount this great battle against Tiamat, uh, and it is not easily won. And in fact, he, in in older versions of the the story, because there are various uh, texts uh, that contain this, uh, he is devoured by Tiamat at first, but then manages to uh, uh, fight his way out, uh, and uh, and that is is uh, how he finally kills and and butchers. Tiamat to make the, the universe from uh, her carcass. Uh, well, that seems to be the origin of the, the Gnostic theme of the redeemed redeemer uh, who uh, goes out to uh, try to uh, gather the sparks of divine light by awakening those who possess them unknowingly. But he gets mired in the material world and forgets his own identity. And this is set out in the Hymn of the Pearl, uh, a long uh, poetic section in the Acts of Thomas. And then the gods send him uh, a letter uh, to, well, actually in the poem, it's, 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 uh, it's the officials, his father, the king, uh, over in Persia who sent him out. But it's, it's like uh, God sends him this revelation to remind him of who he is and what he must do. And so he does fulfill his mission and says, strips off the 
filthy garment of the flesh and returns to, to heaven. Uh, well, that appears to be uh, already a, a half demythologized version of the Enuma Elish myth. And uh, it, um, it, it seems to underlie a lot of these Gnostic systems again the word like the in the ancient church they called gnosticism the hydra headed heresy and just like in marvel comics cut off one head and two more shall take its place uh and uh this is um so there there's and uh, this isn't my uh theorizing by the way uh it's uh geo Wiedengren a Swedish scholar who a lot of his work is somehow ignored in many quarters. He he was well known in the Swedish uh, and sometimes British uh, myth and ritual school, that all this was connected with the uh, royal ideology of the Middle Eastern kingdoms, including Israel, uh, whose, whose kings were believed to be the vicar of God and even an incarnation of the uh, of Marduk, Yahweh, etc., on earth, and that he will undergo a ritual reenactment of the death and resurrection uh, to renew his uh, divine mandate for for the next year. So this is an octopus with a lot of tentacles to it, and it does bring the basic myth of Gnosticism uh, all the way back to the earliest uh, Middle Eastern religion we know of. Uh, even in another parallel too, which I guess ties in with uh, ancient Greece, is uh, the cult of Orpheus. Didn't they have that myth where Dionysus is eaten by the Titans and Zeus zaps him and then the, they both explode and then the sparks fall into matter? I mean, it yeah. seems the Gnostics could have borrowed from that unless the Orpheus was borrowing from Persia. You know what I mean? It's a, it's quite a labyrinth, but it's a, a valid myth, too. Oh, yeah. And, and in uh, like in Jainism and in Samkhya, which are almost the same thing theologically, uh, there's uh, they, they have a cosmogony that involves uh, something very much like Genesis 1. Uh, in the beginning, there is just a, a a kind of placid lake, uh, and uh, into it fall like raindrops uh, these purushas, uh, these um, sort of soul fragments, and they begin to. Uh, it's also very much like the pre-Socratics. Uh, they begin to get the the the, the big lake churning. And the elements start coming together, uh, the three gunas, they call them, the three modes of being, uh, inert matter, um, um, uh, energy, and, and, uh, and consciousness. And in different combinations, they form all the different life forms and so on. Now, that's got to be uh, an, a philosophical version of a myth in the Rig Veda where Purusha, as a proper name this time, is a cosmic giant, like the heavenly Adam of the Kabbalah. Uh, and he, at some point, sacrifices himself in heaven, uh, and the different sundered portions of his body become um, different uh, aspects of, of our reality. The gods, the four, four castes, 
uh, the rituals, the material world, all these things uh, are parts of the cosmic body of Purusha, the primal man. Uh, and uh, this this translates right over in well yeah in in uh, in the the indian versions of it uh it's their gnostic too because the way to attain salvation is to realize that your psychological selfhood your ego self whatever it is it's assessed on personality tests uh, that 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 is not the real you it's just, as modern science says, an electrochemical process, material in nature, ultimately. Uh, but it is given consciousness because energized by the Purushas, uh, which are just like the, the uh, sparks of light in Gnosticism. And it's like the human suffering is caused because uh, the, the Purusha is like a battery in a flashlight, uh, to use a modern analogy, which I think is perfect. Uh, it, um, if you don't have the battery, the flashlight is not going to illuminate anything. If you put the battery in and click it on, now you, you have consciousness, uh, though it comes not from the flashlight, but from the battery. And what you are conscious of is the suffering of the world and how you don't belong in it. It's one continuous uh, red flag, red light telling you what is the matter? <laughs> I got to get out of this. And, uh, and then finally, you, you meditate and learn to take the battery out of the flashlight. And the Jains say you, you reach omniscience then. Uh, and the Samkhya folks pretty much the same sort of thing but that's exactly like gnosticism or the buddha nature in mahayana buddhism i mean uh -huh. it's the same thing all over the place and uh, i'm not sure if that is huxley's uh perennial philosophy or not but it is a perennial philosophy and that's exactly what uh, gnosticism was and it has mythic roots in fact i i always love pointing out to those who snicker at the idea of the the saving crucifixion in heaven not on earth that's just what happens in the rig veda the primal man uh the 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 son of man uh, is in heaven there isn't even an earth yet when he uh sacrifices himself and brings life to everything. In Gnosticism, the Archons uh, uh, mug the primordial man of light, one of the ions, uh, tear him to pieces and use the fragments of light that remain to vivify the mud pie creation of the Demiurge. It's just nothing, just a bunch of clay pigeons until that happens. So what do we got there? a heavenly um, dismemberment of the man of light, which gives life to the world. Now, I see this as, as being historicized with Jesus of Nazareth, the supposedly historical incarnation of this. But he was only incarnated by being narratized. Uh, they, they created a life of Jesus by... Uh, 
reapplying Old Testament passages and, and so forth, uh, making them about Jesus. So I see it all over the ancient world, and it was ready to hand uh, for, uh, for another version to mutate into existence, namely Christianity. Well said, and I would agree. And, you know, we're talking about the Nassines, and uh, they were one of the few that actually referred themselves as Gnostics with Marcelina, the Sethians calling themselves Gnostics, according to Irenaeus and Porphyry. Um, but in the Nassines one, it's interesting because in the myth, uh, yes, I forgot the name of who the Demiurge um, character is but they create this uh, no there's another name i'll have to look yeah. it up uh it be, no no I'll, I'll look it up it's a weird name uh according to hippolytus anyway mm -hmm. but uh they create this uh, again mud man but it gets the son of man so excited that he well releases his uh, bodily fluids and the light comes in and then you can uh, parallel that to the borborites and the idea of pronicus or barbillo getting mm -hmm. the archons excited so they expel their seminal fluids or in manichaeanism same thing happens uh, you get the arc do you know the source of this sort of erotic uh idea of tricking the archons or the heavens of uh well releasing themselves uh well i guess i mean it could just boil down to the idea that uh, the seed of life must be implanted uh the archons when they they see the heavenly eve uh they uh they uh, uh they're about to gang rape her and stealing the the myth of um uh, apollo and uh daphne right the, yeah yeah uh where she saves herself by turning into a tree which is not as erotically attractive to uh to uh, <laughs> the the archons uh they um but they in, in the the uh what is it the, one of the nakamadi texts uh she escaped the heavenly eve escapes by creating a, a a false illusory duplicate of herself which they mistake for her and gang raper well that's probably another way of saying how divine seed which kind of goes back to uh Stoics and so on with the spermatikoi logoi, the seeds of reason. Uh, how that how intelligence entered into uh, a world that shouldn't even have existed. Uh, like that, that's a problem with uh, Samkhya and uh, um, and and Jainism too. You say, well, wait a second. If it's total confusion and ruination that that uh, happened because of the insemination of the the lake of matter by the Purushas, how the heck did that happen? It's the problem of evil all <laughs> yeah. over again. And in their case, they say, well, uh, once you're enlightened, that too will vanish as an, as part of the Maya which is a pretty handy way out of it. This is kind of a theodicy, I would say. I mean, you can't, as a Gnostic, complain that the, the divine photons, as I like to call them, <laughs> exist 
here in the matter that is you, uh, you you do want to extricate it, but uh, you, you, if if it weren't a, if it weren't foreign matter, there'd be no chance of of saving yourself and freeing yourself from the the um, anxiety you feel here. So you have to explain how the mess came about. It couldn't have been the divine plan, but the the fact that it happened as it did, and you're where you don't belong, creates the possibility of of uh, escaping it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, well said. And yeah, I was looking at Hippolytus, and the it's the fiery solar god Sl Deus mm. and his lords of chaos. Who knows? I don't think anybody knows where they got one. Then yelled about the peers, but uh, that's uh, that's definitely another villain in the Gnostic saga. And mm. uh, Vance, uh, do you have a question for Bob on Gnosticism? I know, like me, you listen to the Bible Geek, so I'm sure you've had many oh, yeah. questions like me, uh, you know, walking around listening to Bob and like, I need to ask him that. Should I put it in the rain barrel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I constantly try to think of good questions uh, to to uh, submit to the Bible Geek, and I just don't have enough biblical knowledge. I I mostly suck up the biblical knowledge. But uh, I, I was going to ask about perennialism, Bob, and uh, you brought it up. Uh, what's the most pure ancient form of perennialism uh, that that we have? You know, the idea of, uh, that everyone's consciousness is one, and, and so forth. Sounds like all these things are echoes of that. You know, or somebody's trying to sit there and talk to their children making up stories you know which are now the myths right to Mm. to try to get this concept across but uh what what's the earliest uh, that you know of oh boy that really gets uh nebulous when you factor the hindu and buddhist versions of it in there because how far do those things go back uh, it, like Sufism would be a good example, but we know that's not nearly as old as these other ones. Right. Um, was there a primordial version of it uh, that, that lay behind uh, even these? Uh, presumably so, but it's uh, it's also complicated by the fact that it may be a question not of dispersion, like it being passed down and spread around uh, uh, and so on, but uh, it might be just a, a kind of structuralism, which uh, which envisions the, the fact that the human mind is the same basic mechanism the world over, because we're the, the same species, it would have to be the same. Uh, and um, so, uh, and and the world, the environment, is is common enough with the the problems of injustice and death and suffering and all of that. That sooner or later, you're going to have the same questions arise uh, in various cultures independently, uh, and uh, that and some and there's going to be the same range of options uh, occurring in the different religions, like in uh, in Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, Pure Land Buddhism, uh, the the logic of that is uh, almost exactly like Calvinism, involving predestination and total depravity and calling on the name of the Savior in faith and being saved by His grace. 
but there's no reason to believe that it was borrowed from Christianity. You can trace the development of this school of Buddhism, and you see how one thing logically led to another, just as uh, you can trace it from uh, uh, Augustine to Luther to Calvin and, and all of that. So there's an inner logic that will inevitably unfold. And so it may have come about in the same way. Uh, people observing the same sort of thing in terms of human capability and the challenges it has to meet. Uh, and uh, and eventually they come up with uh, the same thing. So it's perennial just because uh, people naturally came up with it. They all invented the wheel separately. And who knows when that started? I suspect that's lost in the mists of antiquity. Or maybe I just don't know. I mean, maybe that is known, but uh, not by me. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's like looking in the mirror. Everybody sees a nose on their face when they look yeah. in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could always uh, do what Tertullian uh, said, and Satan went into the past and planted all these ideas. Uh, yeah. With Christianity, we could blame yeah, Satan. Could it be <laughs> Satan, as Bob says, the church lady? Yeah. Uh, could oh, be I don't alien. know. Could it be <laughs> Satan? <laughs> we could say it. We could just blame it on the aliens. We could go young in and say the collective unconscious. Yeah. But I also like in one uh, discussion you uh, years ago, you also mentioned very astutely Juan uh, Culiano's work that it, this is the human mind is just binaries and somebody will yep. think of orthodoxy and somebody will say, no, this world sucks. There's got to be bad powers messing with us. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's a human condition. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's where I'm getting the dispersion versus structuralism thing. Mm. And even he said it, it's a little tough to tell the difference. Indeed. Fascinating questions. And I wanted to pivot a little to, uh, well, uh, another Gnostic revealer, if you would, Bob. His name is Jack Kirby. And uh -huh. you did an excellent article in your Patreon on him and i highly suggest for the for you heretics out there subscribe to bob's patreon because he puts out his thus spake zarathustra newsletter which uh always again like our conversation is a great uh, a great uh, place of content for comparative religion and pop culture and all that and we recently bob talked to chris knowles we did a show on uh, jack kirby and other people and he covered amazing ground as usually Chris does. But uh, you go a little bit deeper, especially when it comes to the new gods. And you would mm. say the new gods itself is a very Manichaean tale. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this uh, eternal warfare between apocalypse, which is just a huge uh, industrial furnace of a world. Uh, it's so beautifully drawn with this this planetary globe with various portholes around it with flame uh, belching out of it. Uh, and it's run by a totalitarian uh, regime headed by dark side. And uh, there's some speculation that uh, that may be the basis for Darth Vader. Um, that and Dr. Doom combined, another Kirby creation. But at any rate, he, he is the uh, 
the head of this world of darkness. And it's really profound because his subjects are called the hunger dogs and they're enslaved and oppressed. But eventually, given the chance to overthrow Darkseid, uh, they don't want to do it. They'd rather be <laughs> dependent on this guy and have security from uh, uh, from this tyrant than have to handle the whole thing themselves, just like in the Grand Inquisitor. Uh, and then on the other hand, there is a new genesis uh, with ruled by the benevolent High Father. And uh, why new? Well, because uh, this was originally planned to be um, for, for Marvel um, when Kirby was working there and he was going to have Ragnarok happen. And uh, and so it, it starts out, there came a day when the old gods died and you see a bunch of ruins and conspicuously there is Thor's helmet in the oh, mid wow. all the, the rubble. Well, the, the new gods were relative to the Norse and Greek gods. So it started over again, but in a dualistic way. And one thing I didn't happen to mention, I don't know if Kirby was aware of this or not, um, what Darkseid and High Father did to try to end the perpetual war was to exchange infant sons, uh, each to be raised by the other as a kind of hostage and as a way, I, I gather, to promote understanding uh, between the two. Of course, that didn't work. And uh, and so High Father's son, Orion, uh, becomes uh, the dog of war. Uh, and even though he's raised in New Genesis, he's a fierce warrior, no peacenik. Whereas Scott Free, the escape artist, who's based on Jim Steranko, in fact, um, he becomes Mr. Miracle. He's he's in the prisons and torture chambers of Darkseid and eventually finds a way to escape. And uh, so the, the, the two messiahs kind of uh, team up, uh, the Christ and Antichrist who switch uh, places. Uh, what I say about Kirby, maybe not knowing this, uh, there was this book by a missionary, I don't remember his name, who worked in New Guinea somewhere, I think, and it was called Peace Child. And he said there actually was an arrangement like this between warring uh, Samoan clans where they oh, would wow. exchange an infant for exactly these reasons. And uh, so that, I don't know if Kirby just came up with the same thing or what, but uh, it's one of many religious echoes uh, in it. And so who are the new gods? Well, they seem to be ions on the one hand and archons on the other, uh, with um, High Father as the unknowable father of Gnosticism and Darkseid as the demiurge. He's not said to have created the, the, the planet, but he does rule it and he's sort of a negative god. Uh, he's exactly like Thanos uh, in Marvel Comics, which was a later uh, Marvel clone. I don't want to say ripoff, but it was like their version of Darkseid. And um, uh, so uh, he uh, he's like the Demiurge. We have uh, a part of the furniture of this uh, fourth world, as they call it, is the source wall. Uh, that uh, there is some great secret 
beyond the the impenetrable source wall out in space someplace and many have tried in a promethean way to try to penetrate it but it's impossible and there uh corpses turned to stone now decorate the source wall well this fits with gnosticism because this is the what's called the limit uh at the rim of the um pleroma the the world of light of of the father and his ions you had um the, like the the idea was sort of neoplatonic uh, the father emanated pairs of ions, and uh, each pair begat the next pair. But at the end, there was only a single one uh, emitted, and that was Sophia, the divine wisdom. Well, she wanted wisdom more than she had, and she desired to conceive in two senses. She wanted to continue the chain, uh, and she wanted to understand what lay beyond the limit within the uh, the, the pleroma, uh, and she couldn't. Uh, well, she did have offspring, and that was the demiurge. What a big mistake. Well, he <laughs> basically thought he was the ultimate god in his ignorance. Uh, and uh, so he creates a world of matter, but it's dead. It's inert. Uh, and um, and so he says, well, what's wrong here? What what have I done wrong? He's he's not so wise. And uh, they quote Isaiah. He says, I am God. There is none beside me. And Sophia laughs him to scorn and says, you got another, you got plenty to learn, buddy. And uh, so he says, how can I uh, vivify my creation? And there are two basic alternate uh, versions of this. In one, uh, the uh, the archons, as I said, grab the man of light, uh, one of the ions, tear him apart, at least uh, get a lot of the light sparks in him and use those uh, as a kind of self-replicating DNA to create order and, and uh, productivity among his creations. Uh, not all of them, though. So th there are some with the divine spark, they're called the pneumaticoi, the spiritual ones. There are some that uh, are intelligent and once it's available, religious people, Jews, pagans, uh, ordinary Christians even. The pew potatoes, don't you call them yep, that? The pew potatoes, <laughs> yeah. And then there are just the louts, the pool hall <laughs> rowdies, the, the, the sarkikoi or hylix, the, the carnal ones or the wooden heads. Uh, and uh, there's your sitcom audience. And uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, what, like uh, real housewives of uh, the, uh, the pleroma shows and all that. Uh, and... Um, at any rate, that's why there are people that feel like strangers in a strange land. Well, according to the other version, uh, Sophia is intrigued by what her son has created and looks down at what so far is, again, just this placid lake of matter and sees her reflection in it as she's glowing with radiance. And her, the photons of her, of course, they didn't call it that. 
the divine sparks of her life uh, begin to germinate in the, the lake, just like in these Hindu uh, versions of the myth. But either way, divine light is trapped where it doesn't belong and starts everything churning and, and it comes to life uh, and so on. And uh, as a result, the like the, the the primal man still exists but he needs to grab what was lost to restore himself and so uh, he appears in the form of the in human form as the gnostic revealer and to those who will listen because they have the spark and they know there's something missing uh he they say look here's the truth uh, let me tell you uh what uh like in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, uh, he tells him, if you know your origin, you'll, you'll know your destiny and so forth. So um, they, uh, one by one, uh, get uh, converted, awakened. They're free from uh, reincarnation, but they must have the knowledge of their true origin, nature, and destiny, or it's not going to happen. Now, apparently, this was like Shankara in non-dualist Vedanta, who taught that if you simply knew this truth, uh, you would be, uh, the shackles would fall away and you would enter the stage of enlightenment, uh, experiencing your unsuspected union with Brahman. Uh, but of course, it's not that easy because there are plenty of people that do understand it and uh, don't experience that. Uh, and uh, so they began to come up with, in, in, in Vedanta, various exercises like the mantras and all that stuff to try to make it happen. Well, over in Gnosticism, they came up with various magic formulae uh, that when you die, you're going to uh, have to ascend through the planetary spheres uh, surrounding this world to uh, get up to the Pleroma. And it's like they're, the Archons are manning these posts. They're, they're really drawn from the old uh, planetary gods. Of uh -huh. And uh, you've got to be able to evade them. And if you know the proper password, they'll say, okay, come on through. <laughs> it's very much like in the Ascension of Isaiah, when uh, Jesus is going to enter the world, as he goes from one sphere to the next, he takes on the bodily form of the entities in that sphere, finally uh, taking on this diving suit of human flesh, uh, which he gets rid of as he reascends when his, uh, his uh, mission is accomplished. Well, that's kind of what you're doing. You're, uh, you're, um, managing these guys are like guards on the Berlin wall. But if you know the, the <laughs> password, you can get over it and, and uh, escape to freedom. Uh, and that, uh, like Schmidthal says that this is like a kind of superstitious, degraded version of Gnosticism, Gnosticism. But what are you going to do? I mean, if it isn't, if you're not hitting Satori the minute you understand this, you could just say, well, I guess this is just one more bucket of bullshit. Uh, or <laughs> you could say, uh, well, all right, there must be uh, more to it. I just need to knuckle 
buckle down on this and and they did and that's i have to think that's what's going on at Qumran when we're told that they memorized the names of the angels what the heck why well because you're going to be meeting them on your ascent to heaven as boltman said Qumran uh, is is like a, a Jewish version of Gnosticism, the light and darkness, the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error, uh, the astrology and so on. I think that's probably correct. Oh, and, and back to the new gods, one last thing. Uh, so we got the source wall as being the limit, as they called it. Okay, well, the most interesting part of it to me is Metron, uh, who... Um, Kirby based on Mr. Spock, actually. He he admitted. Oh, really? That's why he looks the way he does with the oh. aquiline nose and all that. And uh he rides the Mobius chair uh throughout the universe. And the, whoever sits in his chair is hooked up to the source of all knowledge. And so uh Metron uh is uh all wise and occasionally they've had other people sit in the chair batman uh, wally west uh, uh, even professor x in a marvel oh, wow. crossover that was yeah cool. i remember now and uh and so he's he's flying through the universe on this thing well no one can tell me that metron is not supposed to be metatron uh, and uh, who is like the 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 angel of Yahweh, the lesser Yahweh, the exalted, transfigured Enoch, who knows everything because he's traveled the heavens. And what about the Mobius chair? Well, I don't need to tell you. That's the Merkava, the throne chariot of Yahweh. Uh, and uh, they, of course, Kirby must have known that. Uh, he was a Jew. I don't know if he was religious, uh, but he, he must have known it. And uh, holy mackerel, the stuff that is uh, built into this, boy. Yeah, it's a, it's incredible. It's a great essay. And I was, uh, for doing research for uh, Chris Knoll's interview and your interview too, I was uh, rereading Jeff Kripal's Mutants and Mystics. And he has a section, he does a heavy uh, research on Kirby and all these other, you know, comics. I got to read Kripal. that. I've never seen it. No, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good book. The, the occult side of comic book uh uh, authors, individuals like Philip K. Dick, John Keel, uh, you know, the whole sci-fi high weirdness 70s and yeah. comic books and all that. I think you, you definitely enjoy it, but he is part of the group and it's no secret that says how George Lucas uh, ripped off or borrowed from Kirby for Star Wars. You know, That's like true. Mark Moonrider from Forever People is Luke Skywalker. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of evidence, Bob. And he has a section, he quotes a, a scholar who says that when Mark Hamill was first doing Star Wars and he walked into the set for the first time and he saw uh, the guy dressed as Darth Vader, he goes, what's Dr. Doom doing here? Yep, so amen. Was... <laughs> yeah, and how about in, uh, I guess it's uh, the third Star Wars flick uh, when uh, Darth Vader is uh, appealing to Luke to, to join him, he says, if you only knew the power of the dark side. 
married uh-huh. and the backside <laughs> of divorce and so on. Yeah, that's okay by me. I, I, I don't regard stuff like that as plagiarism. I, I see it as somebody saying, hey, that is great. I bet I could do something interesting with that. Well, go ahead. It's not like it's copyrighted. Yeah, yeah. And Lucas was an avid uh, comic book reader. So that stuff is going to get soaked into you. Oh, yeah. Oh, one other thing, Marcionism. Uh, that's not Gnosticism exactly, but it's sort of a cousin of it. The whole thing with Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Uh, this is like one of the several forms of Marcionism. Uh, because, like... Um, Marcion taught that uh, there were two gods. There was the stern, though not evil, um, creator god uh, of the Bible who gave the law to Moses and so on and so on. Uh, And there uh, is the god of love and forgiveness, knowledge of whom was first revealed by Jesus, his son. And Jesus was not the son of the, the Old Testament god. Uh, and uh, Jesus' death was a ransom paid to the Old Testament God to buy the the freedom of his creatures, uh, and so that they could be adopted as children of of the Father of Jesus Christ. And he he went along with it. By the way, I, I don't really know of any other theory that really explains why. Uh, Jesus saving death is called a ransom. Uh, this, it's an appropriate metaphor for this. I'm not sure if it works with anything else. But there was a version of it, of Marcionism, that said that Jesus was, in fact, the son of the Old Testament creator God. Oh, really? But he oh. broke with him and, and uh, died to, re- to, to save uh, the, the creatures and slaves. Uh, of the Old Testament God. Now, now you're talking about Galactus and the Silver Surfer, because Kirby did say off the record, Galactus is simply supposed to be God. Uh, and, uh, that, uh, and of course that implies that when he's sucking the life out of the, of inhabited planets, that's like his demanding worship from all these little beings he's made, kind of like the the crazy astronaut in that Twilight Zone. Episode. Right. <laughs> uh, and um, and that uh, and so uh, he, the surfer is sort of his son, you know, his, his uh, agent, and he has no compulsion, no no qualms about handing over these planets he finds to Galactus to chow down on uh, until he he sees humans up close and realizes, I can't be doing this. Uh, these people aren't just hors d'oeuvres. Uh, and uh, so <laughs> he breaks with Galactus. And now th- this was totally changed when uh, Stan Lee and John DeSema redid the uh, like a uh, reboot of the silver surfer and and their version was terrific too i love both of them but it, as you recall no doubt um he made it uh, uh what's his name uh can't think of it uh the surfer um he he uh was a uh, uh, he lived on this planet zen yeah. and i uh, forget too hmm yeah, I'm forgetting too his original name. Right, I'm going to see that. Uh, well, he he was about to have this planet 
absorbed and said, look, Galactus, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, you probably would rather have somebody else look up tasty worlds for you. I'll do it if you'll save my planet. Uh, and I uh, said, okay. And uh, so he uh, he become Norrin Rad. That's it. Yeah, you're and, right. And so he, he makes this terrible bargain and sells out his conscience. That's very good. Uh, that's uh, really great stuff. But in the Kirby original, we don't know what the Silver Surfer was. He apparently wasn't a member of any particular race. Uh, and he, he had no human feeling until it's awakened by seeing the, the humans up close. He, he, he develops a conscience and can no longer serve the God he once served. So he saves the human race with the help of the Watcher, who's sort of a deistic idea of God, and uh, and and but he's uh, his power is reduced and he's now imprisoned on the Earth. So I don't know if Kirby knew about this. It's pretty esoteric, even more than the Jewish mysticism. But he might have because it sure sounds like this version of Marcionism. Well, thank you, Bob, and uh, good luck with uh, Judaizing Jesus. Thanks for having me on. Loads of fun, as always. Yeah, Bob. I'll need it. Thank you, Vince and Miguel. Have a good day. Thanks. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of Bob's interview. The origins of Gnosticism and so much more. In our second part, We'll certainly continue talking about the Gnostic seer, Jack Kirby. We'll discuss, too, the liberating power of myth and why tapping into it means our very survival as a species. Bob gets Jungian, psychological, and sociological. You know we'll touch on the monomyth. We'll delve deeper into Bob's new book, Judaizing Jesus that argues that the traditional image of Jesus being an observant temple Jew doesn't hold up. Instead, he was more of a Gnostic revealer, among other theories. This will lead us to talking about the scenes, Paul, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and Simon Magus all of whom might have been the first Christian church long before Orthodox Christianity. So please support to get the full and true New Testament. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. Or you can now subscribe to the easy-to-use private RSS feed from Red Circle found in the show notes for less than $5 per month and you'll get the last 200 shows in the podcast provider of your choice and it takes stripe since many of you hate paypal no matter where you subscribe it will cost you about a buck per episode and that's a deal of many lifetimes Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels includes full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. 
There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe now. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list if you want to help there. Finding Hermes is going strong. This program includes exclusive private meetings on exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly intimate Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism and its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. We've recently done presentations on Gnostic non-dualism, vowel and sacramental Gnostic rituals, the secrets of the serpent Gnostics, and sex magic. Quite a variety, eh? Whew! I know this is uh, a lot, but I gotta stay spread out, as the Archons are always there to cancel me. I'm also on Rockfin and Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.